Hello and welcome back to Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. Forgot what the thing was for a second. <laughs> My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And we are back with number six on the AFI Top 100 list, which is 1939's Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. That part's easy because I've written it down. I just don't write down the other part. <laughs> uh, feeling a little under the weather today. It's not uh, anything of global pandemic crisis. It is that it is suddenly cold here in Texas. And uh, I am not good at... at rapidly changing temperatures so we will soldier on like the gallant dead of the south i don't know loose connection there ethan had you seen this movie before oh no i had not and uh you have to remember i'm from the north uh so what the sense i get here in south carolina and maybe even a little in texas is that this is a film that people like watch in school as kids like you know, people, it, 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 yeah, I did not have that experience. I did have that experience. It was shown many times, really? most vividly, my junior year of American history. Like, looking back, it's like, why are we, why are we watching yeah. this movie? Well, and, and this is my question then. Did you watch the whole thing in your history class or just like the beginning? I know we watched the beginning and i suspect we might not have gotten much farther because i don't remember there being anything after the civil war ah so that's possible but i also was a junior in high school with my girlfriend now wife if it makes a difference to anybody right yeah. in that class so i didn't really pay attention to the movie that much no <laughs> my, my friend amy was telling me she's from georgia and she said that in I think in middle school she said they watched it for history class. And I said, did you watch the whole thing, like, to the end? And she said, yeah. I mean, two hours of this movie have nothing to do with the Civil War. Right. (laughs) Maybe not nothing, but a small amount. Yeah, very little to do with that. I mean, like, the, but yeah, that to me is just wild. Because this, I mean, really the second half of this film is, is kind of just a personal drama personal melodrama <laughs> melodrama and and seems kind of inappropriate to show like young children i mean she falls down the, well we can talk about that in a minute i shouldn't i have a plot should i would just do it for myself ethan you have a plot synopsis i do <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that i never envy you the task of doing a plot synopsis oh. but i don't think i've envied any less than i did at this, this moment one. this one's not the worst this was actually honestly not the worst one to write uh, well let's hear it then Let's hear it. So Gone with the Wind is the story of Scarlett O'Hara, the oldest daughter of the wealthy plantation-owning O'Hara family in Georgia just before the Civil War. Scarlett learns that her crush, Ashley Wilkes, that's a man, by the way, is to be married to his cousin, Melanie. He announces the proposal at his large barbecue held at the Wilkes' plantation. At the party uh, at Twelve Oaks, Scarlett confesses her love to Ashley, but is overheard by the roguish Rhett Butler. During the barbecue, the Civil War begins. I mean, that's a strange line to write. During the barbecue, the Civil War begins. And the, <laughs> <laughs> the men rush, rush off to enlist. Uh, Scarlett agrees to marry Ashley's younger brother before he goes to war. He dies, however, and Scarlett goes to Atlanta to live with Melanie and hopefully see Ashley on leave. Scarlett causes a scene when she agrees to dance at a fundraiser ball with Rhett, uh, with Rhett Butler despite being in mourning. After the Battle of Gettysburg, things begin to go bad for the South. 
as we all know. Uh, Atlanta begins to be pelted by Union shells. Scarlet works in a hospital, and eventually Melanie gives birth, just as the Union soldiers... Uh, really begin to destroy Atlanta. Scarlet begs Rhett to help her, Melanie, the baby, and Prissy, that's one of the slaves, um, escape back to her plantation named Tara. Uh, Rhett helps her escape the city, but returns to enlist, leaving Scarlet to make the rest of the journey. She arrives home to find it ransacked, her mother dead, and her father having lost his mind. Uh, Scarlet leads the family in trying to rebuild. She and the rest of the O'Haros work long hours picking cotton in the fields. Uh, when a Union soldier tries to steal from Tara, Scarlet shoots him in the face, and Melanie helps bury him. Uh, her father, chasing a man off their land, tries to jump his horse and is killed. Ashley returns. Scarlet asks him to run away with her. He refuses. When the taxes become unpayably large, Scarlet goes to Atlanta to beg Rhett for help. He refuses, and so she instead steals her sister's wealthy but older fiancé, Frank Kennedy, in order to pay the taxes. Uh, however, after Scarlet is attacked after driving through a shantytown, Frank, Rhett, Ashley, and some others attack the shantytown, and Frank is killed. At Frank's funeral, Rhett proposes to Scarlet, and she accepts. The two have a daughter named Bonnie who uh, Rhett dotes on. Scarlet laments her pre-pregnancy body and still pines for Ashley and decides to have no more children. She distances herself uh, from Rhett. At Scarlet's mill, which is a business she built with Frank's money and Ashley's help, she spotted embracing Ashley by Melanie's sister and mother, causing, you guessed it, a scandal. Rhett forces her to still attend Ashley's birthday party that evening, but abandons her. Melanie, believing the best in Scarlet, doesn't cause a scene and stands with her in face of the rumors. Scarlet returns home to find Rhett drunk, and the two argue. Rhett carries a struggling Scarlet to the bedroom, where he rapes her. Uh, the next day, he apologizes and offers a divorce, which Scarlet declines. Uh, and then Rhett takes Bonnie to London. Uh, eventually, they return, and Scarlet announces that she is again pregnant. She and Rhett fight, and she falls down the stairs, which causes a miscarriage. Bonnie attempts to jump her pony shortly after and is killed when she's thrown, just like uh, Scarlet's father. M uh, Melanie, meanwhile, is gravely ill, having attempted another pregnancy, which she wasn't supposed to do. She dies, and Scarlet consoles Ashley, who tells her that he doesn't and he hasn't loved her. Then she realizes that she has loved Rhett all along, but Rhett leaves her anyway, assuming that she's now going to pursue Ashley, and the film ends with Scarlet deciding to return to Tara, where she believes she will one day win back Rhett. I mean, she probably will. If you, you just see, if you just look at their relationship. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think the film wants to tell you that that's not the case. Like, like she is delusional in this moment, and that this is really over between she and Rhett, but I just don't, I don't buy it based on like the relationship they've been having. Yeah. But I think one yeah. thing that, that points to this is that to talk about how screwed up the relationship is, you mentioned he carries her up the stairs and rapes her, but the next morning she's very pleased with that. Oh yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. They have a bad relationship. I think that's clear. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it good. Which is made more concerning by the fact that they are voted like number seven sexiest couple in, oh my in God. some poll. And we should mention that it is Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. Yes, and I will say, uh, Clark Clark Gable in this film is is a fun character, a lot of fun. Uh, Scarlett O'Hara, on the other hand, I think I, I 
I guess what we need to talk about with this movie, right, is that at least the very the first half of the film is very much linked to the rise and fall of the South, yeah. right? Um, and I think that 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 is kind of the most boring part of the movie. Um, obviously, there's not great depictions of slavery. Uh, the you know all the the black people. Oh, we'll ha- talk more about those. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, but but Scarlett O'Hara, I think I think people don't think about the rest of it. I think they think a lot of that a lot of her sort of in the way they think about like Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is to say she's glamorous and southern and and rich, uh, when in fact Scarlett O'Hara is is a ruthless. Uh, manipulative, uh, you know, um, destructive, uh, cold, uncaring, desperate woman, right? Like, she, I guess Clark Gable is kind of the the you know the sexy rogue or whatever, you know, the sort of roguish Han Solo-y figure, and he does some some bad things, but is but overall seems to be an okay guy. Scarlett O'Hara is a, is a not a good person at all yeah and so this is tough right because there are aspects of her character before her major crisis of yeah. character which i call the eat a radish scene <laughs> and she goes out to the blasted fields and just like scoffs down a radish mm-hmm. and like makes choking noise very reminiscent of like leo dicaprio's the revenant where he's oh, eating yeah. the heart yeah 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 except for it's not actually vivian lee making those choking noises it's actually the woman who plays uh melly because that's true and the reason for that is a little bit up for debate it might have been that vivian lee was unable to make retching noises or it's that she was unwilling to make retching noises as it was not ladylike but (laughs) in either case that that's obviously a big turning point of the film though i do end up choosing a different pivot just for thematic sake i mean she gives like a speech but it's like a 15 second one mm-hmm. and it's really about how she's ever going to be hungry or starving again okay so before that she's a young girl and you know age-wise she's obviously a lot older she's also an adult actress trying to portray a much younger girl yeah but she is very frivolous she is still manipulative right that's definitely a character trait that tracks mm-hmm. throughout she is enticing all these men to try to make ashley jealous to get what she wants which is ashley which is itself a child childish let's say crush because she believes ashley loves her everyone around her is giving her evidence to the contrary Mm. and like laying out for her like he's really never actually promised you anything you haven't really been going after him so i don't know why you think this is gonna be the case you know that the wilks always marry their cousins which is like (laughs) um good luck south i mean this is a, a terrible movie for any kind of southern it's hard to say like ah the south and look at this movie but no and the and the movie really wants you to do that though like it really does want you to think that the south is this bygone era the last gasp of like genteel society where there's chivalry and all the all this sort of shit uh you know glamour and blah and it's all like no we we don't look at the south like that anymore or at least people like you and i i guess yeah and i mean i agree it's definitely like there is a certain kind of civilization gone after you know antebellum civil war i suppose but yeah 
it's not something that it's been made so nostalgic and something so much grander than it actually was. It's like ridiculous yeah. to say like after they've shown all these very racist depictions and unequal conditions of labor and gender and everything, right? Just put mm-hmm. the whole bill at their feet and then say, "Ah, we missed the south, huh?" It's like, "Who?" Right. <laughs> I know. But to return to my earlier point is that she has a lot of issues before in her character. Yeah, oh, definitely. And then after, those are definitely exacerbated. But there are some new ones, like her her actual will to survival mm-hmm. is made material by the effects of you know Sherman's March to the Sea, effectively. Right, right. So this is all a long-winded way of saying my pivot for this is actually a brief scene in which she's speaking to Ashley after... The freaking dude comes in with all the convicts and they're going to employ them. Mm. And this guy's like pretty much saying, I'm a bad guy and I'm going to whip oh, yeah. these people and starve them. And she's like, hey, yeah, you're cheap, right? So yeah. this is her conversation between she and Ashley. And they actually bring up the question of slavery here. And yes. it's kind of brushed off. But it's still it's interesting that the movie decided to bring it up and then, I don't know, kind of cast it off. But I want to listen to this because I take this to be emblematic of her character after the war, which is so important to understanding really the majority of the movie because it's the largest chunk. Yes. And if you have not seen this movie, when you hear the voice of this man, uh, or maybe you don't have him in the clip, but I mean, just literally imagine a a mustache twirling, uh, you know, top hat, all black. I mean, this man literally in the movie looks, his name might as well be John McBadman. Yeah, John McBadman is not in the scene. <laughs> this is right after that scene. But oh, yeah, okay. look up look up John McBadman when you get a chance. I guess. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's listen to the scene. Darling, I don't like to interfere, but I do wish you'd let me hire free darkies instead of using convicts. I believe we could do better. Darkies, but their pay would break us, and convicts are dirt cheap, and if we just give Gallagher a free hand, a he free can... free hand? You know what that means. He'll starve them and whip them. Didn't you see them? Some of them are sick, underfed. Oh, Ashley, how you do run on? If I let you alone, you'll be giving them chicken three times a day and tucking them to sleep with eider-down quilts. Scarlet, I will not make money out of the enforced labor and misery of others. You weren't so particular about owning slaves. Well, that was different. We didn't treat them that way. Besides, I'd have freed them all when Father died, if the war hadn't already freed them. Oh, I'm sorry, Ashley. But have you forgotten what it's like without money? I found out that money is the most important thing in the world, and I don't intend ever to be without it again. I'm going to make money enough so the Yankees can never take Tara away from me. I'm going to make it the only way I know how. But we're not the only Southerners who've suffered, Scarlet. Look at all our friends. They're keeping their honor and their kindness, too. Yes, and they're starving. I haven't got any use for fools who won't help themselves. Oh, I know what they're saying about me, and I don't care. I'm going to make friends with the Yankee carpetbaggers, and I'm going to beat them in their own game. And you're going to beat them with me. So, like I said, I've chosen this scene because I think it represents Scarlet after the war. And it also is another touchstone or node in the relationship with ashley Mm -hmm. and again he is becoming this almost deity for her in these times and everything she does is is trying to wiggle her way closer to ashley right she manipulates him earlier to make his wife insist that he go help scarlet Mm -hmm. at the lumber mill so when she's orchestrated this whole thing to try to get closer to him try to separate him from his his wife and in this moment, he's like, "Well, I would have, I was going to, I was going to free the slaves after my dad died, but the war did it for me." It's like, "Oh, how right. convenient! That's nice." But I feel like that moment 
could have been really interesting because they're talking about the forced labor of convicts versus the forced labor of slaves. Mm -hmm. But then they really just end up using it as another way to say, Ashley's not a bad guy. Right. It's it's kind of multiple things at once, right? It shows them about Scarlet. I think it's very important, but it's also like pointing to this weird thing going on with Ashley. Yeah. Ashley is, you know, sort of the, the consummate, good guy at least in this in this sort of southern you know old southern understanding right that that he is good uh and she's so not i mean i think you're right this scene really demonstrates this demonstrates better than than the sort of i'll never go hungry again this is how she's not going to go hungry again right? right and she has no qualms about exploiting people uh and and as you point out right she's in that moment she's exploiting ashley and his wife and ever you know she she wants what she wants and she will get it well it's part of her vow right she says i vowed to never go hungry i will lie cheat kill steal for this and mm-hmm. she does all of these things <laughs> all of them uh even at times that that I'm I was sort of confused by right like the like I'm not I don't really understand why she has to marry her sister's fiance to get the why can't he just she's gonna marry her sister he'll give her the money I think it's because she saw the larger oh, game the, right yeah. she's like look there's all because she she sort of deduces this right she goes into a shop and she's like oh you got lumber and he's like that's the kind lumber. of a sideshow because I don't know it costs a lot of money to get get it going and I kind of want to build a house for you know, your sister. And she's like, dude, commit this money to this, make a huge business out of it. So that's why she's like, well, if I marry him, yeah. he doesn't have to get a house. Can I have a house? So right, if we just gotcha. do this, then and I'll I can steal make a bunch of money. Out from, yeah. Okay. I mean, even that. Yeah. And she basically has him killed, right? I think the implication is that she rides through that shanty town in order to get attacked so that. Oh, have to- I don't know about that. I was so weirded out. I mean, that's certainly the tone of everyone else around her. Yeah. And that, that lady, India, that lady, call her late. What a what a nasty piece of work that India is. Let me tell you, she's like, this is all your fault for getting attacked. It's like, okay, let's just victim blame some more. Yeah. So I don't. I didn't get the impression that she was doing that to elicit a confrontation. I think she is so set on what she wants and how she wants to get it, and that she has killed before. Right. She even mentions right. that. She's like, I can shoot straight if they're close enough. Right. She. And she shoots that man in the fucking face. Yeah, which was actually a pretty awesome moment. Because it's like, you just seen people just being brutalized the entire movie. And then she's finally just like, you know what? <laughs> Bang. Right. It is It is kind of, because they're I, I, leading up to that moment, I was like, is she going to fucking shoot him? Is she going to fucking shoot that guy? She's it's not after her scene him. about the vow about she'll kill for it. So I'm like, yeah, she's definitely shooting this dude. Well, and, and I and I was like, she's probably going to shoot him. But I didn't realize she was going to shoot him in the face. And I didn't realize in 1939 you could basically have his face explode <laughs> on screen. Yeah, they, they went for it on that. They, yeah, they really went for it. Uh, it was kind of amazing. And so you're right. She's got that gun. She's ready to kill, man. She doesn't care. Which actually is like my favorite part of the movie is – that moment and then like a bedridden melanie comes out and it's like we gotta hide this body and i was like yes let's do more murder girls here (laughs) yeah i think maybe before we turn to our three questions we are kind of getting close to that time yeah is that i want to talk a little bit more about some of the characters just to give more context for them so we know a lot about vivian lee's character scarlett o'hara 
we have mentioned Ashley. He's played by Leslie Howard. I don't know if you know him. He's the original Pygmalion like, oh, really? films one. It's like a very good movie. I really enjoyed that movie. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's him. He doesn't really get a lot of uh, screen time necessarily. But when we do see him, he is this consummate gentleman like you were talking about. But there's these moments where he's alone with Scarlet and does seem to be leading her on right he does like passionately kiss her at one point mm-hmm. and scarlet ends up having to say that it was her fault that that happened but that's totally him right so yeah. he admits that he never loved her but like you were totally leaving her leading her on this whole time yeah so i didn't that- quite understand that because it's like he was like oh of course i love you but i can't leave melanie and then <laughs> they like kiss and then she Melanie dies and he's like, I've always loved Melanie. And you're like, what? Hold on. Well, and maybe that's maybe that's even just part of his southern gentleman sort of thing. Like he, you can't tell Scarlett O'Hara that you don't love her. You have to tell her, I of course I love you, but I can't be with you. So that she is, you know what I mean? Maybe that's I don't know. I don't. And I mean, it's not necessarily clear in the film, so I'm sure it's all speculation. That's but certainly I, also the worst way to go about the dating world. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. Don't please don't do that. If you're taking any dating advice from this film, good luck. Yeah, you're in, you're in trouble. So <laughs> I think the last character we really haven't spoken too much about and need to round out, of course, is Rhett Butler, played Rhett by Butler. Clark Gable. So he's this profiteer, basically, right? He he's a a blockade runner. Blockade runner, yeah. So very much a Han Solo character, like, yeah, on the nose. So maybe we'll talk about that in the three questions. But Rhett Butler, blockade runner, sort of. Good guy, bad guy, right? Hangs out with uh, prostitutes. But, you know, like in a way that he actually has a real relationship with mm-hmm. Belle. And it's like kind of a, a productive one. And and that's nice. But he's also this like really, he's you know, he's a good counter to Scarlet or compliments her, right? They're both very fiery. Mm-hmm. And that's why their relationship is pretty much just doomed to fail. And they'll have these weird oscillations as they go back and forth with each other yeah and and i mean he really is the only one who can go toe to toe with her uh he sees through all of her bullshit um and the 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 sort of like the heaviness that is scarlet o'hara right everything for her is life or death it's very serious right everything for rhett butler is is kind of a laugh right like and because of that, I think he can look at her and not take her seriously. Uh, he's the, he truly is the only one who who seems to get her. And the fact that she does, I think I think her her revelation at the end is a little bit true of a true revelation. Not only is she realizing that she's just she'll never have Ashley, uh, but I but I think she does realize, oh shit, I Rat understood me in a way no one else did you know i've squandered that i think she i think she truly is like oh shit and he was like a really good husband until they started like powder kegging one another you know right yes until the raping began uh, well th- okay <laughs> i think there were problems before the rape obviously well, yeah, but yeah the problem i think with the relationship is that they both understand each other completely mm-hmm. but are both unwilling to cross that bridge how many moments in the second half of the film are these looks of an actor with one emotion and then seeing a reaction by the other actor and then immediately having a complete change, right? How many right. times have you seen Vivian Lee look happy to see him and then he's just like, ugh, B 
because he's still hurt from their previous you know argument that then it turns her cold and it's just like man Mm -hmm. that's probably the realest part of this film is is how they are basically two armies right they got their own civil war going on after this and they're just doing these attacks and feints and no side is willing to come to the table for negotiations because of all the all the grievous loss on both sides right when 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 in reality right they are they if they if they're meant for each other right they are perfectly aligned right and so i think that is a much more apt metaphor for the civil war than the actual civil war shit in this movie which yeah. is which i really honestly i really think that that the Civil War stuff that I think everybody associates with this movie, you know, the fall of the Old South and all of that, which is mostly the first half of the movie. I mean, that stuff is all hokey. That stuff is honestly kind of boring. Um, in many cases, you know, highly problematic, racist, and all that. Um, but the but the if you if you strip away a lot of that shit, uh, a lot of the hokiness and the you know the longing and nostalgia for the Old South. I mean, what we really have here is a film about a ruthless and relentless woman, right, who wants what she wants and will stop at nothing to get it, uh, and the sort of people that come along the way. And that, I think, is really fascinating. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I would even go as far to say that, like, the Civil War stuff is really there just to act as backdrop for the fallout of, you know, post-Civil War. Yeah, the whole thing with the carpetbaggers and the economic conditions and changing yeah. classes as well, right? That's the whole thing is that they have moved classes as well as their status, right? Like there's this idea that they're now they're this, they're not they're like the new upper class, right? They're this, right. these economic moguls really with her sawmill and all of Rhett's investments, which I'm not sure how he still has so much money, but he does. <laughs> Ethan, why don't we turn to our three questions? Yeah, let's do it. For that, though, let's talk about Anchor. Okay. Okay, first question, as always. What do we owe to this film? Well, I I think that, unfortunately, one of the things we owe to this film, probably the most glaring one, right, is... Uh, the, old, the, the nostalgia for the Old South. I mean... Mm-hmm. This this film really lays that shit on heavy. I mean, in in the sort of birth of the nation way, you know, the Northerners are the are the worst people on earth in this film. Monsters. Yeah, they're not good. I'm trying. I was just trying to think if there's any character from the North, and no, there's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there is the one guy who's from the North. He's the overseer. Remember, he's that, a bad guy. He's a bad guy, right? That he he kills. It's because of him. Suppose well. This right there are, little... there are no good guys from the north in this movie there are a couple no. from the north none of them are good and and when and when we do see people from the north they are monsters they're rapists and uh murderers and pillagers and they're they're you know morally corrupt uh politically corrupt uh yeah the the northerners are are evil in this movie yeah not a good look for the North depicted in this film, not a good look for the people who are supposed to be commiserating with the South mm-hmm. who made this film. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely that. I mean, I think that that part of the film's legacy is, is truly undeniable. You mentioned Han Solo, of course, in star Wars. I was going to jump into that. I mean, I think Clark Gable, his performance in this film 
I think is one of the most pure, uh, sort of lovable rogue characters. I mean, you without this, you don't have basically any role Harrison Ford has ever done. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, uh, any what are, what are some of these other lovable rogues? I mean, um, I don't know. I can't do I mean, it off the top of my head. Han Solo is just the the iconic yeah. one. Yeah, d- definitely, absolutely, Han Solo. Um, even Lando Calrissian. I mean, every, everything about you know the the sort of bad guy who has a heart of gold. Um, and Clark Gable is is a really compelling character in this movie. Yeah. Uh, really, the only person that I, except for maybe Melanie, who's kind of boring, honestly. I don't know. There's something really solid about Melanie in that she helps Scarlet get away with murder. She realizes how indebted she is to Scarlet. And stands by her, even though when she certainly has doubts about her husband's faithfulness to her, mm-hmm. right? She's she's almost certain to have those. But she's very much like when she had a, a chance to go and like cast her down in, in like the public eye, mm-hmm. she's but like, she doesn't. Yeah, because she knows like what side of the bread her but what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she she understands who is there for her. And yeah. she's not going to let little things like a husband's fidelity. Right. Just those little things. Um, yeah. No. And I, she becomes much more fascinating. But other than – but it, like her and Rat are really the only people that I can kind of feel okay about liking. I mean it's sort of like when you see uh, um, There Will Be Blood, which I think is absolutely indebted to this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's the same sort of thing, right? It's just a man and oil versus a woman and and you know the the south and all that uh because everybody else i mean if people are people are rich in this film people are slave owners in this film uh people you know all, all there's not a lot to like like i don't look at their extravagant wealth and it, it's again it's like watching mad men or something where you look at their extravagant wealth and you're not really meant to be like this is good I want that. It's sort of like, this is really bad. And it, a lot of people are very unpleasant to so that a few people can get this for some time. Right. But like Mad Men, like we've talked about with Breakfast at Tiffany's, a lot of people mm-hmm. misread the yes. point of that and end up wanting those things. It's like, I want to be like Mad Men named character. I don't know his name. Don Draper. I, Don Draper. Or in Breakfast at Tiffany's, I want to be like... Good. I know everyone's name today. Holly Go Lightly. Holly Go Lightly. What a pull from you. Yeah, so they end up liking that image, but the film mm-hmm. is trying to say this is an image as opposed yeah. to substance. Yes. I also think we owe a lot of melodrama, like yes. specifically the soap opera, the modern soap opera. Oh, this you can see. You can see uh, the DNA in this I mean, film. In the last, like, 30 minutes of the film, she has a miscarriage. She loses her daughter. Her mm-hmm. best friend dies. Mm-hmm. Her husband leaves. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, everything just comes out at once. And before that, mother dies of typhoid. Father dies crazy chasing after somebody. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's Thomas Mitchell. He's been in a couple of the films we've seen. Like, Mr. Smith Goes to Hollywood. And also... You mean Washington? Um, what did I say? Ho- Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> good god i must be sicker than i think i am but yeah washington sure and then um it's a wonderful life he's the oh yeah in that with the raven so he's in a lot of the afi top 100 list really like him as an actor but of course yeah he doesn't get a lot of play 
except for being a weird Irishman. But mm, yeah, there's so much tragedy that surrounds her life. Yeah, that it is comical. It's we were watching. You know, Olivia watched a good portion of it with me, and uh, she kept saying, "Oh, the dr- the drama. Look at the high drama." And it is. I mean, th- there's so much of that here. So you're you're right. I mean, even the way the camera moves and uh what what they show us these these you know these pictures look the soap opera is just a a lower budget higher drama version of this i don't know if you can get much higher drama than this i mean this is know. pretty pretty up I, there yeah but that's when the film really started to lose me was in the last 20 minutes or so it got me back when they started to ground it again in her realization about ashley and rhett but mm. you know when their daughter dies from the horse riding thing in a a doubling moment of mm-hmm. how her father dies that she recognizes in the moment, which yes, there's something to be said about. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about trauma in that, right? Because it's like the speaking wound, right? The re traumatization, mm-hmm. like Kathy Carruth talks a lot about this, but I don't know. In, in the way it's, it's manifested here, it just feels like, well, of course this daughter's going to die. Like why not? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> why? I mean, not? <laughs> Rhett, Rhett has an interesting reaction to it. He's like, well, she was the thing that was like surrogate you and I wanted to spoil her like I wanted to spoil you. And it's a very interesting thing. He talks about that relationship with his daughter, but it's, I think it's ultimately more interesting when she's alive and they're able to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, he's there scaring the bear in the dark away from her in right. her bad dreams. And he's, he's this doting father that wants the best for his child, but also might not know the most right. Because of course, other people whose job it is to raise children might know better than he who just thinks like, well, if you give him enough love, things will be fine. So it, it could be very interesting to see Bonnie grow up and see what she's like based on that kind of relationship. But of mm-hmm. course, you never get to see it. So yeah. I think there's there's some stuff there that is interesting in her death. But ultimately, I think there's more interesting in her life, which is a larger, more circuitous way of saying so much death happens in this movie to this yeah. one person, like this one family. It's as if like the civil war left a plague on the South and like everyone yeah. had like a curse, like they're all cursed now. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. Like if you and told that, me like, Oh, they're cursed. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're right. They're cursed. A witch. Um, no, I think you're right. And I think that that all goes back to the, basically the thing we don't like about this movie, which is to say, the hokey southernness you know yeah and so i know this isn't the question we're asking and this is 1939 film so it's really hard to ask it like hey what is this film oh but i mean you know what i'm gonna say here but william faulkner yeah it's a very like you know i mentioned the curse here that's a little faulknerian with the go down moses type stuff and right i think there's a lot here about this generational trauma of the families generational dynasty right economic class structure property land like all of this is there and it's taking heavy notes from that mm-hmm. but it's doing it quite differently right a lot of this movie is to be i think commended in the fact that scarlet is a powerful woman but she's also a bad powerful woman and it's yeah. certainly complicated but it's not a uncompromised look at like feminist achievement yeah, I mean, I I think in many ways that that this is that this has so many similar notes to "There Will Be Blood." You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. th- this is about a, a and and honestly a good um, pairing with Lawrence of Arabia, right? Because again, this is this is the story of Scarlett O'Hara, 
right? Right. And Absolutely. it's her. It is her odyssey, right? And she might not be on the battlefield like we see, you know, um, Lawrence of Arabia, and she might not be, uh, you know, in the oil fields drinking milkshakes, but <laughs> she, but she is. Um, she is monomaniacal. I mean, this is she is like Ahab. Well, this is the decidedly American thing about films like this, right? Yes, that yes. There's an exceptional individual who the world bends around, right? And as we've gotten up in this rarefied air of the top ten, I think we're seeing more of that. Yeah, and I because I think you're right. I think this is the kind of story we like. It's a it's American exceptionalism, uh, and 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 this is like high romanticism, right? And yeah. American, you know, true. I mean, we think about the American Renaissance of, of of literature, right? I mean, the the American art that is that is like almost mythical uh, to our country, you know, is is the romance, the capital R romance, right? The Scarlet mm-hmm. Letter, Moby Dick, you know, Gone with the. I mean, these are these these big things that are about you know individual people uh with big symbols right i mean the big symbol in this movie is the south or the land right right the uh, plantation's called Terra, right Terra. not spelled t-e-r-r-a it's t-a-r-a but still yeah the land right the I mean, land. they're like there's the, the the actual metaphor of the land being the south but then they also go a step further and call it Terra. like it just tells you how much they're trying mm-hmm. to thematize this but we are going incredibly long, so we should move to our second question. Yes. And that is, does this film hold up? Well, in a lot of ways, no. I mean, there's just so much that's backwards and wrong um, and, and problematic in this film. Uh, you know, and as we've talked about, it's a film that's very easy to misread. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in terms of this sort of epic scope and... and um, and sort of special effects. I mean, there's a lot of impressive stuff here with the where you know these these big sweeping shots and the the you know the the low light of dusk and the you know the black of of the people in the dusk with the with the orange behind. I mean, that stuff was was honestly quite astounding to see, amazing to see. Yeah, I mean, this fits into my thing we've talked about in the Wizard of Oz. I loved like the chintzy fake looking reality. Yeah. Yeah, and and this does that very well with these huge sets and these huge homes. But there's also those big sprawling shots we talked about. We don't ever see any big battles, but we see at the car shed like a thousand wounded people. Like there are yeah. a lot of actual extras laying there on the ground. Yeah, and that's impressive. So visually, yeah, for sure. We've already talked about the South aspect of it, but of course we haven't talked about the race aspect quite mm-hmm. yet. We've sort of been putting it off until this very moment. Yeah, and largely throughout. Every character, every black character is depicted poorly, right? Yeah. Either simple, like Big Sam, right? Who's mm-hmm. just this no- basically noble savage, right? Yeah. You have the, I don't know what her name was. They don't really, they, I'm sure they say it, but like the sort of the squeaky Prissy, that's, that's Prissy. Who just lies for no reason. And it's mm-hmm. like, everything's her fault and she's bad. And like, Scarlet's like, I'm going to sell you south or I'm going to whip you. And it's like, Scarlet, you're not making yourself look good here. No. And no. then Mammy, who arguably is the most realized character in that she has mm-hmm. actual depth to her, but still fails ultimately in the sense that all of her desires are the desires of her her family right yeah. she's so happy that she's brought in three generations of girls of o'hara's but it's like right come on 
yeah her the the mindless devotion to the white people is and that's that's really what it is at the end of the day is that they the black people in this film are either stupid or mindlessly devoted to white people or both um and it's and it's a bad look they look happy to be enslaved they're happy to work for the white people uh you know they're happy to go to war for the south and that all is i mean that's all wrong slavery was terrible it was not good no one was happy there is one (laughs) moment though where pork the character pork Mm -hmm. the other house slave then later servant right and again Mm -hmm. the fact that they which was historically accurate in a lot of cases that a lot of the slaves stayed on right didn't have any other option like what are they supposed to do exactly what are you gonna do and people use that as a way to say like oh clearly they weren't being treated that poorly it's like uh no it's the (laughs) double ability right yeah but pork he does something a little interesting and this might have just been comedy in the film but i felt like there could have been a deeper read here mm-hmm. where he does the like, you know, stereotypical like, oh, yes, Massa kind of stopped to her face. And then yeah. she walks away and he's like, that's a bad idea. Like, he, you can tell, like, <laughs> he's sort of hiding depths from her, right? When yeah. she says, like, I gotta go get the money for the taxes. And she walks away and he's like, that's what I ain't getting, right? Like, yeah. there are kind of moments of depth where it's like, oh, Pork is playing up this mm-hmm. character, right? He's doing minstrelsy in front of her. And then when it's just him and the camera, he kind of alludes to the fact that, like, he kind of knows what's up. But there's not enough of that for, for me to be satisfied to say, like, oh, the movie is knowingly giving no. these portrayals and saying this is a performance on the part of the black characters. Yeah, no, it, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Um, I will say that Hattie McDaniel, this is who played Mammy, is the first uh, African American to win an, an Oscar. Um, so that's a, a, a big deal. The, the other thing that is not nearly as weighty as depictions of the South or slavery mm-hmm. is something very minor. And it's their accents. It's everyone's oh, accents. None of them they're, are right. They're in the South and Vivian Lee is like, well, I just don't think that I'm from anywhere except for the <laughs> mid-Atlantic, you see. <laughs> right. You're like, where are you supposed to be from? And you're like, oh, you're half Irish? Okay, sure. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Ashley... Ashley talks as though he's just barely covering up his British accent. Because he is. Right. He is just barely covering up his British He's a British man who, yeah, I looked up into him a little bit, um, died during World War II. He was shot down by the Germans when he was like a intelligence, like, like a the actor? Not an officer. Yeah, the actor. Um, because he was doing like film study stuff for the British intelligence and oh, like shit. Germans like shot down a bunch of planes and his was one of them, which oh, wow. coincidentally was the same plane they they launched the Operation Mincemeat from, which was they like dressed up this homeless person as a colonel and put some fake orders on him for oh, the invasion God. of Sicily. That, like allowed the Americans and the British, the Allied powers to like land on mainland Europe because of this like incredibly wild faint. Just a weird little history thing I thought was yeah. very fun. Um That's wild. And then Clark Gable is like, now listen here, say. Yeah, Clark Gable, definitely. He doesn't sound like he's from Charleston. Like, I've no been one's from the South. Everyone... Right. Trust me. And I've been, I don't live that far from Charleston. He doesn't sound like he's from Charleston. It's like there was just no attention paid to that kind of thing, which no, we see a I lot don't... in old films. So I guess they just didn't care about it. I don't know. It's, it's you know, it's just like uh, in films, you know, Hollywood films where people are speaking like Russian or German and they're just speaking English. Yeah. But, you know it's it's a american german <laughs> or whatever it's a you know 
it's hollywood south it, it doesn't matter i mean shit so ethan we should turn to our third question because we are like mm-hmm. a million years over time limit so do we care about this film you know i i think the answer for me is yes and I, but i'm gonna i'm really gonna i'm gonna couch it here i think that this film is great despite itself i think that everything it's trying to do uh is not good you know i i do, i think that the southern metaphor is is bad we've just talked about all of the problems with all of that you know it, all of that is bad but what it, this film does do is that it is a, it, and what makes it i think a triumph of cinema is that it is the it is the epic drama of scarlett o'hara this this is truly i think it's in the same you know world as like as there will be blood i mean that was i think is the closest comparison i can make to something that's that's a little more modern um scarlett o'hara is a fascinating character in the same way that lawrence of arabia is a fascinating character and i think that she, a lot of it gets lost in the hokey southern racist bullshit uh which is honestly boring and at best uh and and like racist and terrible at, at worst um and also unneeded the movie didn't need to be about this no i think you're absolutely right i think that this film all all you need is a situation to get scarlett o'hara she starts out rich loses everything and and you know is becomes an underclass or yeah and meets red i mean and and that's it so it doesn't the the civil war stuff this old south stuff is entirely tacked on um you know and and is in a lot of ways laughable at least for someone maybe it's different for other people but uh you know for people like us i think and especially me who studies the 19th century this is right in my time period of of literature um it's like it's it's laughable what they're doing it's mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous uh but the, but but the rest of it is is fascinating i mean this the story of scarlet o'hara is a triumph of this of this deeply complex driven female character that i think people remember as uh you know a sort of beautiful southern belle who's banging clark gable right which is a shame. Yeah, I echo your sentiments on that. I think to further clarify why I care about this film. Yeah. It is mostly their relationship. It is those little glances that are just stunning feats of these actors portraying these complicated mm-hmm. characters, the very complicated relationship. And I think that's where I'm most plugged into the film is watching them have these glances and reactions and reactions. Oh yeah, the two of them together in the room. I mean, you talked about the scene after the the morning after she's been raped by Clark Gable, and the 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 acting in that scene, the way these these actors can just I mean they they it's a it's a little it's a duel. You know what I mean? It is a tete a tete. It's back and forth, and it and it's perfectly played and it's and, it, and you buy it i mean it's the acting is is magnificent um and really honestly the second half of this film where it's really not about the south anymore is where it gets good i was bored up until you know we get into that re- the real sort of second act after the the fucking intermission uh, um 
And and then it's like, I need to see what happens to, like, is she going to get Ashley? What's going to happen with Melanie? How is Rhett Butler going to, you know what I mean? Like, all this sort of stuff is, that's the part that I was like, I need to see more. The hokey Southern shit, the Civil War stuff, we don't need. You don't need any of that. Uh, it's It's catalyst for the rest of this film which is which is the personal drama which is fascinating well there you have it folks we are of course way over time today it's a long movie lots to talk about but in an effort to make the rest of this brief we will be back in two weeks back on the afi top 100 1952 singing in the rain singing in the rain a musical but until then i have been matt bazell and i'm ethan knight and there will be spoilers with Matt as my witness. I'll never hear a spoiler again! There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.